This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. Are you parenting by the seat of your pants? Are your kids driving you crazy? Do you worry that despite your best efforts, you still aren't doing enough? As a mother of two with a special needs son, author Kathy Klon knows exactly what you're going through. With her popular blog, Unfiltered Mom, Klon has helped thousands of parents navigate the chaos of raising kids. And now she's a guest on our show to help us all. We'll be talking, of course, about her experiences raising her special needs son, but she's also going to help us discover a new mindset that will help us embrace the joy and madness of parenthood. And she has a lot of really hilarious personal accounts that are going to really help you understand that you aren't alone in dealing with family dysfunction. And you'll be able to learn some things about how to recontextualize your troubles for a new outlook on parenthood and life. And by the time we're done, you may have even learned how to just laugh through adversity, which is a wonderful skill if you can get there. We'll be talking about what steps you can take when life throws you curveballs and how to stop dwelling on your mistakes and find time to appreciate those little victories, as rare as they are, and how to teach your special needs child that using disability as a crutch is never an option. I'm Armin Brott. We'll start our discussion with Kathy Klon, the unfiltered mom, when Positive Parenting continues right after this. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Kathy Klon, who's the author of Maternally Challenged, How My Special Needs Son Taught Me to Sack Up and Laugh. Kathy, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. What is sack up? Sack up. It means pull up my big girl pants and get on with it and kind of laugh at adversity and not get stuck in all the negative stuff. Okay. Like being an athlete. You know how an athlete just keeps, you know, driving forward and, you know, not really thinking about the finished product, so to speak. So I just like, you know, a warrior survival. <laughs> okay. No, I just, uh, it was funny. I had looked at this a number of times, looked at the book, and right. until I read it out loud, I didn't notice. I thought it said suck up. I know. And thought, wait, <laughs> it says sack. I have to ask about Do that. Do you know that my brother totally thought the same thing? And I'm like, no, sack up, not suck up. <laughs> That's so funny that you thought the same thing. Huh, maybe it's a guy thing. I don't know. I know it is a guy thing. It's got to be. Yeah, I've never, <laughs> I've never heard of sack up before. I, I, sack I feel, up, yeah. I feel so out of touch. I'll have to ask my daughters. <laughs> yeah, it's a teen thing. <laughs> so how, how old is your son now? Um, Casey is 26. 
Wow. Yeah, and he just recently, two months ago, got his driver's license. So we're very, very happy about that. Very happy. Congratulations. No, thank you. So, like, I guess you wrote a book, and you were talking about your special needs son on the on the cover of the book. So it must be okay to ask you these personal questions. But oh, what what type of special needs does he, he have? He is his IQ is sixty seven, um, and they never really diagnosed him with um, Asperger's. But I kind of consider him to have Asperger tendencies, like the social and the behavioral stuff, because twenty like twenty. Three years ago, when we first started going to Philadelphia Children's Hospital, they were kind of in awe of him. They didn't really know where um, he fit in. So, um, you know, that was, you know, he's very similar to um, a child with Asperger's. Okay. Yeah. And And he has alopecia. He lost all his hair when he was two years old, and it's never come back. Wow. No eyelashes, no eyebrows, nothing. My goodness. I know. Sad, right? I guess unless you like to look like Mr. Clean or something. I know. That's, <laughs> and we're always trying to tell him to get an earring that yeah. he would look so cute with, and he won't do it. <laughs> he says never. We're like, okay, Case. But yeah, he's got beautiful blue eyes, so. Yeah. But I yeah. guess that must be just one more thing yes. to make fun of. Yes. Or for other people to make fun of. But you know what uh, it is that he... The thing I think that I'm grateful for, if there is something to be grateful for, he didn't know any different. It wasn't like he was 15 and lost all his hair. Mm-hmm. He was always that way, like in his mind, what he remembers. I mean, I ask him to this day, do you remember like when you had hair? And he doesn't. He'll look at the baby pictures and doesn't even believe it's him. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's kind of if there's a silver lining. Yeah. So to speak, that would be it for me as a mom. So when when he was born, mm-hmm. did he seem perfectly normal and, and everything, or, or did, were you aware of something right from I the very was, beginning? Yeah, I was really sick when I was pregnant with him, and I only gained like 15 pounds, and he was 8 pounds born. Um, when I first saw him, it looked like somebody had punched him in his two eyes. He had two black eyes when he was born. Hmm. And they couldn't decide, you know, what happened. You know, I had a C-section, but no trauma, you know. So, and then when I brought him home from the hospital, him not sleeping, he wasn't eating, you know, failure to thrive. I kind of, I think like three months I knew something was up. Did you, you know? I mean, I, I've always wondered this about people who have special needs kids of yeah. a variety kind. Did, did you feel somehow responsible or guilty or if only you would have done this or that you know what so many women have asked me that and I think I was so consumed with taking him to the doctor and finding out that I never really thought about it but I did when Casey was 13 maybe 14 we were in therapy together um And I remember him saying to the therapist, well, this is all her fault. And the therapist was like, what do you mean, Case? Well, you know, she was pregnant with me and had me, and then she was pregnant with Christian, and Christian's fine, so what did she do for me to be this way? And I was like, Mm. oh, my God, I didn't even think what, you know. I was like, wow, that's pretty for him to even, 
you know, we didn't verbally come out with it exactly like that, but that was the bottom line. You know, wow. and I thought about like, wow, did I do anything? But, you know, you could beat yourself up and, you know, say, did I drink too much coffee? Did I do, but it's what the, the cards you were dealt, you know, you just got to deal with it and love yeah. them for who they are. Right, and that's the most important thing, but it just seems like that there's so much pressure that's put on to mothers, especially during the pregnancy, to to do everything right, and you have mm-hmm. to eat this much, and don't drink yep. wine, and don't be near anybody who smokes, and wear, yep. you know, wear your seatbelt. And all, all, they're, I'm not, not, not to make light of those things. Those no, are all no, responsible things to do, but it, you know, oh, maybe I re- went horseback riding or whatever yeah. it is. It just seems like there's... In the Always ocean. something. Think, Should I swim swimming in the ocean? I was in a pool. You know, the core. You, you do. You think it is being pregnant and being a mom. You're like it's just as hard for the men too, the fathers. You do think about stuff like that. Yeah, but, I mean that's like yeah, the fathers. You know, if if maybe I should have stopped her from doing something, right. or should have <laughs> maybe I should have made her exercise more, or made right. more smoothies, or I, I, I don't know. Oh, there's, I would have loved that a nice vanilla milkshake. Right? Yeah, you know, there's there's plenty of self torture to go around. Oh, it's just, totally. Yeah. You could beat yourself up forever. Yeah. So what were what was life like? You said you you spent a lot of time taking him to doctors. What yeah. was what was going on? What were you trying to figure out? Well, he was at seven. He he never ate, barely. He slept maybe uh, 40 hours a week. So what we came to find out when he was seven months old was he was born with a kink in the urethra. Is that how you say from the kidney? It was all twisted. Yeah. So he would be in so much pain, like if you were would pass if you would pass a kidney stone. That's how much pain he was in. So they did surgery, and that fixed it. But then the food allergies came into play, and he wouldn't eat because he'd throw up. And so we lived, I lived, I think, I can't even remember, 25 times maybe at Philly Children's Hospital for feeding therapy. I'd be there for two weeks, come home for two weeks, you know, implement the plan that they, you know, set up for us, and then I'd go back and... My husband and I, I'd come home on the weekends, he'd go up there. We barely even saw each other. But you just, like I said, you put on your big girl pants and you do what's got to be done. You know? What was the, the hardest part? I think the hardest part was that I feel like I missed out on the connection with Casey. It didn't come until he was about four years old because I was so consumed with the doctors. Like, I kind of just was in a haze just moving along. And I was the first one out of all my girlfriends to have a child. So I had nobody to talk to. So that was kind of um, sad. You know, I talked to my mother. My mother was great. I have a twin sister. She was great. But still, you know, you felt very alone living in the hospital. Yeah, but there were children imagine. there worse off. So every time, and it was so funny, every time I was like, that woe is me, we'd have to go back to the hospital, and do you know my son's roommate, the child, was a hundred times worse off than Casey? And I'd be like, hmm, I have nothing to be upset about. You know, yeah. It puts things in perspective. Yeah, it really does. I mean, there's yeah. something something about being in those kinds of situations. I mean, of course, you'd hate to be the person who was the roommate. Yes, uh, yes but definitely. Th- there's, definitely. there's something to say, you know, it could be a lot worse. Yeah, 
yeah. And I hope that the people that I did share, there were a couple moms that, you know, they would even said, you know, thanks for the laughs, you know, if I made them laugh a little bit and take them out of their, you know, heartache for a little while, that was always a good thing. Yeah. You know. Talking with Kathy Klon, who is the author of Maternally Challenged, How My Special Needs Son Taught Me to Sack Up and Laugh. She's also the founder of Unfiltered Mom, which is unfilteredmom.com. And we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to keep talking to Kathy about her son and life and expectations and all sorts of things. I'm Armin Brott. You're listening to Positive Parenting. If you love them enough to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music. Ah, this is mommy's jam. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Broad. If you're just joining us, talking with Kathy Klon, who's the author of Maternally Challenged, How My Special Needs Son Taught Me to Sack Up and Laugh. I want to ask you about your thoughts about your son's future. And, and I'm asking because I'm, I want to ask you about yours and also about your husband's. Because when I was writing a, a, one of my own books about fathers and toddlers, I think right. it was, um, but there, there, I, this idea has come up in a number of places when, when th- th- that men and women often look at a special needs child differently. Yeah. That that women are some. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but but women sometimes are more concerned with the child's social life and mm-hmm. is he going to be happy? Is he going to have friends? And yep. and the dads are often more worried about how is this kid going to be able to take care of himself after we're gone. Yeah, the financial aspect, right? Yeah, and and both, you know, one of them is not any more worthy of discussion than the other. But I'm just curious, from from your perspective, what was it like? What what were the things that you were concerned about? Because you must have been concerned about at various points about about Casey and his his future life. Yeah, and you think about the siblings also. Like my other son is 23. And when he turned 18, we sat him down and said, you know, Christian, you know, you're going to be in charge of, you know, we have some money put away for Casey that, you know, um, will hopefully, you know, help to take care of him. And it won't be all on my son, Christian. But I said to Christian, you're going to hopefully get married and have a family of yourself, you know, yourself. And his response was, Mom, I'm not going to marry any girl who's not going to love Casey like me. <laughs> and that just made it like, okay, I can take a, you know, a breath that, okay, he's going to be okay. But you do, you think of that. And there are so many families out there that the child doesn't have a sibling. And you worry about that so much to those parents. I don't I don't know what they think or what they do. I mean, we have yeah. our ducks in a row, but it is, it's scary. You worry. And they do, they want it because he's not low function like he's i call him he's um he's just a step behind that's what i like to say 
like not even so much developmentally disabled. He's just a step behind. And he wants a girlfriend. He, you know, he wants to live with somebody. Could he live with somebody? Absolutely. But he couldn't do any of the money or the finances or the bills or yeah. any of that stuff. But that that's a lot to put on to a sibling also. Yeah. The, the oh, main... yeah. And it is. It's a lot. And I remember looking at and when he said that, I was like, okay. You know, and it well, is. It's a lot. But they don't know any different either, the siblings. Yeah. Well, but it's interesting. That, I mean, you're, it sounds like Christian had been thinking about it for a lot longer than, oh, yeah. than mm-hmm. b- before, long before you started to bring yeah. it up. Yes. I mean, it was yeah. like my mother said, he came eight weeks early, the younger one, Christian. And my mother's like, it was like he was never a baby. He just wanted to get out because he knew he had a job to do. Three years <laughs> old, he was protecting his brother, you know, holding his hand. And, you know, so it's funny. It is. It's it warms your heart, but I'm I, like I tell him now. He just graduated last year from college. I'm like Christian, go have fun for a couple of years, because I know the pre- what pressure, you know, what responsibility is going to be on him later in life. Yeah. yeah. So you say in the book that that uh, Casey has an IQ of 67, but he's the smartest one of all of you. What do you mean? By I... that? <laughs> Isn't that funny? People read that. And they were like, what? He is so funny. Like, if we're, I'm upset about something, he's like, okay, Mom, you got two minutes, then just let it go. Or in one ear, out the other. Like, just, he's very, he's so happy. He's so happy. And it's just very nice to see he laughs constantly, constantly. I mean, I tell him, Case, maybe we should write to Bravo and have cameras in our house and just film us all, because my mother lives with us also. (laughs) That's an even bigger fun time. (laughs) He's like, no. But we would probably make a million dollars just them watching him. You know, he just laughs constantly. It's a fun house. Besides, what is he laughing about, and and how is that spilling over onto you? Like, he just laughs. Like, he'll say something, and he'll, he'll, you know, and we're not laughing at him. We're laughing with him. Like, he'll start a story, and he'll, then he'll be like, oh, 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 wait a minute. I'm doing this. And we'll be like, okay, Case, just take a breath. And, like, he just, he seems to embrace his, um, the, you know, his adversity with laughter. He's never, I think when, one time when he was 10 years old, he had a really big, like, breakdown, crying. He, you know, he wanted to be like the other kids, and social media does not help, you know, Facebook and all that stuff. But after that day, I think he just realized this is who he was, and that was it. He was okay with it. That seems to be the hardest thing, you know, it's if somebody who has no experience in this practically, but just to be aware of your own mm-hmm. shortcomings. I mean, it seems mm-hmm. like if you were completely unaware, you'd mm-hmm. have the ignorance is bliss thing. But if it sounds like he was, from what you described the therapy, that, that he is aware that he's mm-hmm. different, and that's got to yeah. hurt. Yeah, oh, that, well, that's what my friends would, some, there was a period where I was like, I wish that he was, this is terrible to say, a little worse off mentally because he wouldn't know the difference. Yeah, that's he that's, knows yeah. the difference. He, but I think I remember my father. He passed away seven years ago. But I remember him saying a case. My son Casey one time. He's like, "Case, life is like a card game. It's not about the hand you get. It's how you play that hand. And if you play it with dignity and grace, you're a winner." 
And, you know, he says he remembers that. He remembers what his pop told him. You know, so... Yeah, that's... So would you, Kathy, would you, if you could just magically go back and fix things, would you make him a different person than he is? I don't think I would. I think we'd be missing out on the gift that he is. You know what I mean? Like, he just what he is in our family and his look on life. And I don't think I would be as um, determined as I am. I don't think I would have ever written a book. I, I don't think I would ever do what I do. He just gives us all the motivation that you just got to go for it. So what else you has know? he taught you about life? What else has he taught about? Just to be kind. And you have no idea what goes on in people's houses. And just say hello to people. You know, and especially the kids that look different or even acting different. You go up and just smile at them in Target or whatever and say hi. You have no idea what, what you have done. You've given them the greatest gift in that small little act of kindness. Hmm. And he, he just does that. That's just the natural yeah. part of They'll who he say, is. Oh, he's always, I mean, we call him, we live in... Um, New Jersey, Belmar, a short town. We call him the mayor of Belmar. He knows everybody, hmm. everybody in town. You know, it's a small town with all the shops and, you know, Dunkin' Donuts and all of that, and he knows everybody. You know, it's yeah. interesting. I, I heard was talking to somebody who's got a child with Down syndrome, and they said mm-hmm. that, that there's something similar with their particular child, that that's the one who in many ways helps them mm-hmm. to form relationships with other people or makes makes introductions or or yep. uh, is, is the one who's out there making friends more than anybody else and you would yeah. think that that wouldn't be the case but because i feel like they don't care like it's not that they don't care it's just that's who they are they're friendly they're kind they're not thinking about how they look or what people are going to think or you know all this stuff that we have in our heads they just go up hi how are you you know hi like your dog whatever they stop and talk to everybody you know they don't have those whatever neurosis or whatever in their heads to you know not talk to people yeah that's a great gift you know i I was i'm glad you said that about the dog because i that was what was going through my mind was i i have these thoughts about my own dog periodically that he's just perfectly happy being who he is (laughs) And he doesn't think about, oh, my hair is off, or I need a trim, or I, you know, somebody should brush my, my teeth or something. Crooked. Yeah, and, and I don't, yeah. I don't mean to suggest at all that that Casey's no, like a dog, but not. I mean that there, there's something refreshing about that, and, and almost, almost that, envious yeah. uh, or enviable. Oh, yeah. That wow, I mean, I, I look at the dog and think, you know, I don't want to go up and. Well, I don't right? want to go and sniff everybody's butt, but I'd like to be able to be <laughs> as friendly. I know, right? There are some things you would, but just think to go through your life and be like that, and yeah. not worry about just that you're waking up every day, the sun is out, you're having a good time, and and that's it. Whatever the good time is, I mean, he loves TV. His favorite show is Survivor. The joy that he gets out of Survivor is unbelievable. Just to watch him watching that is like, wow. <laughs> you see life through different, uh, you know, lens. Yeah. 
Kathy Kwan. I tried out for Survivor five times. They never called me (laughs) (laughs) because of him. (laughs) Kathy Kwan's the founder of unfilteredmom.com and also the author of Maternally Challenged, How My Special Needs Son Taught Me to Sack Up and Laugh. Kathy, thanks again. Thank you so much. Take care. You too. Three, two, one. Oh, no. Which button am I... When every second counts, you can't wing it. Uh, Guys, a little help up here? In a home fire, you may have less than two minutes to get out. So make a family home fire escape plan. Then practice home fire drills at least twice a year so everyone knows what to do when they hear... Prepare your family at ready.gov slash fire drill. Brought to you by FEMA, the Ag Council, and Make Safe Happen. Hello, welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat. It's time for an Ask Mr. Dad segment. Dear Mr. Dad, I've noticed that since I became a father, I've been much more emotional. Is that normal? In a word, yes. People often complain that men are out of touch with our emotions or that we suppress them. Before I became a dad, I think I might have agreed, but since then, I strongly disagree. Fathers, especially those who are actively involved with their children, feel tremendous joy, anger, affection, fear, and anxiety, and a lot more. The problem is that men in our society don't generally have places where we can safely express our feelings. We're supposed to be the tough guy, the stoic provider, protector. It's hard for most men to talk about their deepest emotions with their male friends, and it's even harder for us to talk about them, especially the so-called negative ones, with the women in our lives. As a result, we learn to regulate our emotions. But please remember, regulating is not the same as suppressing. The ability to control one's impulses in the service of caring for one's children and emotionally supporting one's spouse would seem to be an important marker of maturity, write family researchers Phil and Carolyn Cowan. Nevertheless, don't forget that you provide a crucial role model for how your child learns to express her own emotions, fear, anger, disappointment, sadness, happiness, and excitement. Besides regulating our emotions, fathers undergo a variety of other changes in how we experience and react to the world around us. Here are some of the many ways men say that being a dad has broadened their emotional range. It's drawn from research done independently by Glenn Palm, Barbara and Philip Newman, Phil and Carolyn Cowan, and me. Learning to see the world from another person's perspective, in this case your child's, is what empathy is all about. Very young children don't disguise their emotions, and the more time you spend getting to know your children, the more aware you'll be of their feelings and how they see the world. Seeing how emotionally expressive your child can be in helping her express and accept her own feelings, from I love you to I'm sad because my feelings are hurt, may allow you to accept and express your own feelings more readily. Another major marker of maturity is the ability to take pleasure in doing something for someone else without any expectation of repayment. Try to equate your child's bruised and unhappy feelings with physical bruises. This is exactly the approach taken by one father interviewed by parent-child communication experts Adele Faber and Elaine Mazlish, who've been guests on this show. Somehow the image of a cut or a laceration helped him realize that his son required as prompt and serious attention for his hurt feelings as he would for a hurt knee, they say. 
I know that before I was a father, I had seen plenty of parents hit or even abuse their children. I'm sure it bothered me, but not the way it bothers me now. And I'm more bothered by reading or watching reports of kidnapped or murdered children than I ever was before I had children of my own. Before becoming fathers, men are generally limited in the ways they express affection, kissing, hugging, holding hands, and having sex. But having children frequently allows men to expand their repertoire. Kissing, hugging, and holding hands are still appropriate affectionate gestures, but so are rocking, tumbling, snuggling, and stroking. Emotional control. Although being a dad will expand your emotional range, it also requires learning when and how it's appropriate to express emotions, such as anger and frustration. You won't suppress them entirely. You'll be simply more aware of how your emotions affect the people around you. If you've got a comment or a question or something else you'd like to let us know about here at Positive Parenting, do send us a line through our website. You can do that at MrDad.com. We'll be back next week with another brand new show for you. But don't go yet, because as you know, there's a lot more of this wonderful Positive Parenting show coming right up. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Get ready for more positive parenting with Armin Brott from the MrDad.com radio network. Hey there, welcome to the second part of today's positive parenting show. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. Thanks for staying with us. Why is it generally accepted that motherhood costs women their energy, their bodies, and their health? Just to give you a couple of examples, for every child a woman has, her risk of obesity rises by 7%. Moms are statistically more likely to have poor nutrition, get less exercise, have way less sleep, and they face alarmingly increasing rates of pregnancy-related complications and death in the United States. In this part of today's show, we're going to be speaking with a physician and a mom of two who has combed the latest in medicine, psychology, and holistic health for answers to her own health crisis and a way to figure out what exactly is going on and do things have to be as grim as they seem. She says, we found cures for cancer. We create artificial ears using 3D printers. We've solved how to pee in space. 
What moms need, she says, is not more of the old advice that has long failed them. They don't need suggestions how to use more willpower or just try harder. What moms need is a little more of, I got this. And that's exactly what she's got for moms everywhere, or at least the moms who are lucky enough to be listening to today's show. I'm Armin Brat. We'll start talking about how you can be the mother and the woman that you want to be when Positive Parenting continues right after this. 911, what is your emergency? My kid shot himself. All right, where's the wounds? 911, what's your emergency? Please help. My son shot his brother. 911, what is your emergency? 911, please state your emergency. Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and End Family Fire. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, and my guest for this part of today's show is Dr. Daria Long-Gillespie, who's the author of Mom Hacks, 100-plus science-backed shortcuts to reclaim your body, raise awesome kids, and be unstoppable. Daria, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Armin. It's a pleasure. So how did you happen to decide that there were all sorts of things that needed to be fixed about motherhood? It seems like there's Every mother has got a whole list of, of things that, you know, secret things that they do. The mothers' groups all get together and talk about these things, and the dads on the always wonder what's going on in those groups. <laughs> I know, poor dads. Um, so you're exactly right. You're a dad yourself. And I think it was first my realizing the problem and then that there was something I could do about it. So I realized that as an ER doctor, I always had this feeling of, Really, no matter what the chaos was, no matter what happened, whatever came through those double doors, I could handle it, and I've got this. But then contrast that, I became a patient myself. I developed an autoimmune arthritis, and then I became a mom and saw a lot of my mom friends and realized we did not feel that same level of like control in our own lives. And so, and as you mentioned, there are all these little snippets of secrets here and there. So I said, how can I pull together all these things I've learned and this mentality I have in the ER of feeling like I've got this to create this like really science-backed, true system of hacks for all moms everywhere, and dads too, because dads need it too, to feel I've got this every day. And the I got this means what exactly? It means, oh, I can get over this particular hump, or ah, this is nothing to worry about, or what? how, how are you defining I got this? Where, where are you? It a little you bit of all of that. It means that no matter what life throws at you, just like when I'm in the ER, when you're handling the chaos of your kids, that that you can get through it, that you will either you can figure out a solution, you can realize those things. Sometimes it is realizing what you don't need to worry about, um, but that you have this confidence, and it's you know not just it's not just knowing the solutions, but knowing that you can achieve them, so that moms can have that confidence and feel less frazzled, less stressed, and just more in control of their health and their own kids' health as well in an easier way. Because that's the point. We don't have time to do, I don't have time to even go to the bathroom in private. I didn't need a full overarching system. I needed tiny, tiny efforts. What's the smallest effort I can make to have the biggest change for Mm -hmm. my kids' health and my own? 
Well, you start off with something about finding your why, which I think mm-hmm. is obviously the, the, a place to start. What are you trying to get out of this whole thing? So I, I think part of the, the message there seems to be, as you said, start small. What are some mm-hmm. small things that you can do? Because I think if you start looking and say, oh, my goodness, my life is a disaster. I've got 75 problems. I can't eat right. I can't exercise right. I've got all these mm-hmm. pains. It, it becomes overwhelming. And mm-hmm. and people just say, ah, just there's just nothing to be done, and, and I'll just mm-hmm. stick it out, as opposed to find one thing, start there, and go on from there. You are exactly right. And not only when you, if you try to do everything all at once, I remember I had a professor in business school, said, and he would say, how do you eat a salami one slice at a time? And it's very similar to what we do in the ER. If I tried to fix everything at all at once in the ER, if you just looked around at everything happening, you'd go crazy. Instead, what we do, we have the ABCs. We say, focus on the one next thing you need to do. Get that done and then go to the next. And that's the idea. So sure, parents can read this entire book start to finish and hopefully they'll enjoy that. But those who don't have the time or the bandwidth, go to the table of contents. Find the one hack that speaks to you to what you're feeling is your pain point or what you're feeling motivated. Do that because not only will you be able to do that, you'll feel better within a day just by the small changes it makes, but you'll also have more confidence because you'll realize, oh, I got something. So instead of saying, I'm going to run 10 miles tomorrow, which nobody would do, you're going to say, I'm going to do this one tiny hack tomorrow, and you can be able to check, did it. Okay, what's next? All right. Well, let's just say that you're going to go through the book in order because it's just easier for me to do that. Uh, rather than just Excellent. randomly picking things, but just so so nutrition is one of the one of the biggest things I think, and in, mm-hmm. in many ways it's one of the easiest ones, and in many ways it's one of the hardest ones because I think people just you're frazzled. You go to the store, you grab whatever you happen to be hungry for at that particular moment, which mm-hmm. is obviously not the way to shop, but we do it anyway. <laughs> Dangerous hungry shopping. Yeah, yeah. So besides eating something before you go to the store, how do you suggest that people start looking at their diet, and sometimes they may not even realize that there's a problem. But mm-hmm. So how do you yes. figure out that maybe it is a problem? Well, one thing I tell people is that instead of in the – a lot of times you tell people, oh, you didn't lose weight. Well, maybe you should just try harder or use more willpower. I'm, I kind of see that the exact opposite way. I say we have caveman brains in a modern world. Our brains evolved for thousands of years where fat, sugar, and salt, you couldn't easily get them. And exercise was inevitable. And so we wonder why in today's world, when you are tempted by a donut every 30 seconds, why can't I resist it? Well, natural, right? So a lot of what I talk about with nutrition is accept that. And a lot of hacks are just say, okay, how can instead of fighting my body, how can I work with my body to make it a lot easier to be healthy so I'm not making decisions and using my willpower all the time. So one example, and a lot of the hacks, I'm sure as you saw, some of them are just super actionable and tactile. Some, like the find your why, are more conceptual. So here's one for your, for your pantry. A lot of people you frequently have heard, oh, just put it so it's out of sight. I had heard that in terms of like putting the chips out of sight, and I didn't think much of it. I was like, whatever, okay, that won't work. So two quick studies. One found at a University of Utrecht, and they found that when M&Ms, if they were right next to you, versus if they were just far enough away so that you had to get up out of a chair or like a single obstacle, like if they're on up a shelf and you had to pull a stool to reach them, even if the stool was in the pantry, that single obstacle in the way caused people to eat 70% less M&Ms without even thinking about it, without even using any willpower. Really? Yes, it's crazy. They did the uh, same thing at Google. People were eating too many M&Ms. They took the M&Ms from clear containers, 
put them in opaque, and in six weeks, their 2,000 employees ate 3 million fewer calories of M&Ms. I've so got to say, that has that never stopped me. Well, the and, and the fact that there are that. M&Ms in the building is enough for me to go <laughs> get them. You them out. You're like a bloodhound for M&Ms. Yeah. But, and I have friends who are like, oh, that wouldn't stop me. But then I tell them to do it. Cut fast forward to a month, and either they've totally forgotten the M&Ms were there. A friend did that with Halloween candy. Or they say, you know what? I'm still eating them, but instead of walking past and grabbing some just because I'm in the pantry, I only do it those times that I really want them. So, yeah, the other night I grabbed and I had some M&Ms, but it was once in a month as opposed to 18 times in a month. And if I can get you to cut back just a little bit, that's a savings for your health without using any energy. Now, what do you think about about organics? Uh, that's one mm-hmm. of the things I think in some ways it, it's it's nice, and I think they're becoming more available in, in more mm-hmm. places. But I think there are, are still a lot of people who say, oh, this is just one more attempt to squeeze some more money out of me. Right. And how do you even figure which things need to be organic? I mean, things like where you're eating the peels, the, the whole thing like a strawberry, you can say, yeah. okay, you know, that probably should be organic or, or at least washed really, really well. But mm-hmm. what about a banana? I mean, do you need to have an organic banana? You're going <laughs> to peel the, get rid of the peel. Yeah. I think that's a great question. I get asked that all the time. And here's my stance on it. Number one rule is because sometimes you, if people are going for organic, I will see people who since they couldn't find it organic or couldn't afford the organic price that day, they did not buy it at all. So number one rule is that it doesn't matter where the fruit is grown, the produce is grown. Eating the produce wherever it is grown, fresh, is always better than not and having some chips or something else processed. So that's number one. Just eat produce, doesn't matter where it's from, if you can, whatever you can get. But in those times, if you can afford organic, if you can find organic and it's great, then yes, I do go for organic when possible, especially for those things, as you mentioned, that don't have a peel like a strawberry. We know they tend to absorb more of the pesticide, and people don't need to read the, remember this. They can go, and the Environmental Working Group has their dirty dozen. Right, um, right. So you've probably heard of that, and they can people can just Google that. So when possible, I eat those things organic. Peppers, I, my family eats a lot of, and they, since my family eats so many red peppers, and since they tend to absorb more pesticide, I try to buy those organic. So I aim to get organic when possible, but when it's too expensive, it's not available, or the organic one looks really bruised, I buy the conventional, I wash it really well, and, and I don't sweat it. Well, that's terrific. I mean, it, it really is. I mean, it, it's, it's nice. You summed it up. Try it as much as you possibly can, but it's better to have produce and fresh fruits and vegetables than to have none. Right. And yeah. that's, that's what my entire philosophy in this entire book and just my philosophy in general is about is we aim for these things. I'm going to give you the easy ways to do it. And if you miss it, that's okay. It's totally okay <laughs> not to be perfect. Like this is motherhood. It's not perfect. And just accepting that about yeah. yourself is also very important. Daria Long Gillespie is the author of Mom Hacks, 100-plus science-based shortcuts to reclaim your body, raise awesome kids, and be unstoppable. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to keep talking to Daria about nutrition and exercise and resilience and sleep even. I'm Armin Brat. You're listening to Positive Parenting. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. 
Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, I'm Armin Brat, talking to Daria Long Gillespie, who's the author of Mom Hacks. And I, I want to move on to some other things, but before we go, I, one of the chapters in the nutrition section is about the microbiome. And I've got to say, I, I'm a complete believer in gut health, and I've got a, a good friend who's a, a functional medicine doctor and, and has been explaining this to me over the years. But I find it in, in some ways one of the most frustrating things because people are always talking about probiotics and prebiotics and you have to and they're all of the, the trillions of bacteria and you can get uh, different things at Costco or any other grocery store chain or, or a, you know, nutrition place that will give you the right amount of or a hundred billion of these and two, you, you know mm -hmm. what I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. It just becomes yep. insanely frustrating. How do you know what you're supposed to have? This is a great question. I mean, I'm so glad we're talking about this, too, because it is. It's, and how do you separate a lot of what I did? And the reason I wrote this book was because I have two kids. I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And these were the things I wished I had in a book before when my kids were little. Um, so if I, it was something that I felt I needed or a friend of mine or one of my patients needed, I was like, well, hey, let's see if there's a hack for that, and let's go in the book. Um, in terms of the microbiome, the number one best thing we know, as I tell people to do, is first – just stop doing the bad things that you're doing that are harming your microbiome. And for, before you go and start buying fancy supplements and things, because let's be clear, in terms of most supplements, studies show that we are much better off getting those supplements from our food, and that also includes probiotics. Much better off getting it in its kind of raw, even if it's cooked, but you know, you know what I mean, the original form in the food rather than in some processed pill form. So in terms of the microbiome, that means for many people, that means cutting out a lot of the sugar and the salt that we are, the sugar especially that we eat that we know creates overgrowth of the bad, uh, bad bacteria, that and even diet drinks. We know that the artificial sweeteners and that can harm the microbiome. And then also being very careful with when you use antibiotics, which includes antibiotics in your food, so beef that was raised with antibiotics, mm. or using hand soap that is antibacterial or just using antibiotics or not completing a course of antibiotics when you need them for an ear infection or what have you. So what people don't realize is so many ways we're just harming our own microbiome. So if you can stop doing that, you're going to be better off. Then what I want people to do is I want them to eat their probiotics. So I told you better if it's coming from your food. So there's not a recommended amount. You know, it's not like a, your calcium, how much you should have in a day. So I tell people it's just, you know, a few servings a week. Aim for things like unsweetened yogurt. And when you're doing that, if you want the probiotics in there, people need to look for a few things. So it needs to say either things like multiple bacteria strains or made from whole milk or organic or grass-fed or sometimes they'll see VAT pasteurized. 
All of those things may are more likely that it's going to be a probiotic-rich yogurt. Kefir or ferment, uh, fermented vegetables, brine-cured olives, all of those foods are really rich in the probiotics, so that's number one. And then the, really quickly to eat the prebiotics as well. You need to eat the good foods that are good for your good bacteria, high-fiber foods, fruits, berries, Jerusalem artichokes, all those things. After you do that, there is a place for supplements. Usually, like if I'm giving an antibiotic to my child or I'll need to take an antibiotic for some reason, I'll take a probiotic then. But otherwise, if you're doing these other things, you do not necessarily even need a probiotic supplement. Great. Okay. I think that clarifies it a little bit. It's still, <laughs> it's still, you know, when you start looking at the ingredients of these different prebiotics and probiotics mm-hmm. and you have lactobacillus this and 100 billion of those or 10 uh-huh. billion of something else, it just becomes enough to say, oh, just yeah. another scam. but Right. The, and if somebody is taking them, then I, you want them with 80 billion plus colony forming units. And I saw something the other day, they were taking their probiotics in gummy form. No. I'm sorry. If it comes with sugar <laughs> in a gummy form, you're taking enough bad things that are going to kill the good bacteria. That's not worth it from a health standpoint. All right. Exercise. We hear that kids in particular should get 30 minutes a day of, of sweat-inducing exercise, which as it may not be so difficult as far as I remember with with little kids, but with teenagers, just to get them off the couch for 10 minutes a day. <laughs> I mean, I, I had this, uh, this argument with my daughter the other day. She's 15, and she's a wonderful oh, kid. But I, it's, I'm, I'm saying, I said to her, look, I want you to take the dog out for a walk. Mm-hmm. And this is at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And she says, no, I'm tired. And I said, I would bet you right now, look at your, your step counter. I'm going to bet you right now that you have not broken 100 steps for the day. And she no. looks at it, and she was at 88. And thought, oh, the, no. this is in, in, until 4 in the afternoon, she's walked 88 <sighs> steps, which includes going to the refrigerator a few times. <laughs> you oh, know? my goodness. So for, yes, but that's for get, kids. I mean, when you can just text somebody and sit in your chair and text them, you don't even need to get out of your chair. It's easy not to get steps. Yeah. Yeah, and she she gets more exercise than that, but it was just, you know, I, I was just laughing at that because I was already up to 20,000 or something like that at the point I'd gone to the gym. But So how do you tell people that without having an unrealistic goal, as we've talked about with nutrition and everything else, that there are ways to get little bits of exercise so that over the course of a day you'll have gotten at least more than none? Exactly. And that is, I am so glad you brought that up because people, well, I don't have time to exercise for 40 minutes today. It was one friend told me that. And I was like, there's no police that says that you only get credit for your exercise if you only went for 30 to 40 minutes. Tiny increments and tiny intervals are great. So for one, if you're going to exercise, if all you have is seven to 10 minutes, what I tell you in the book is give me seven to 10. And if you don't have time, if you set that goal for tomorrow and you don't go do it, then I don't want you to feel bad. I want you to cut it in half the next day. Aim for three minutes of exercise. I don't care. I just want people to get a habit of moving. That's where I want people to start. I don't care how much they're doing. Then, So start very small in terms of exercise. And then, as you mentioned, just get in more activity per day. Studies have actually shown that when you tell people that and say, I don't care if you go to the gym, but just try to walk more during the day, they actually get more steps in than people who say, 
I want you to exercise mainly by going to an aerobics class at the gym. So I had one friend, she would always go to the bathroom on a different floor of the office. So that would force her to do one flight of stairs up and down each way. Um, doing things like that, setting up a plan so that your activities with your friends are social, you know, and even encouraging your teenager to do that. Maybe it's with her friends, go for a walk instead of sitting down. Or with my girlfriends, often the only time we can hang out is we say, let's go for a quick walk. And then we get 30 minutes in. We have, you know, gotten some exercise today. If we get to be outside, we get some vitamin D. It's getting all of those things all in one in 30 minutes high yield. And just finding the easy, tiny pockets. Maybe you're waiting in carpool line. Okay, get out and do some lunges or do some calf raises. Anything like that, we all, we all realize that you can have these little tiny pockets of the day to find that time for exercise. You know, we only have just a couple of minutes left, but I want you to talk about sleep in mm. in part because I think that is one of the most pie in the sky things that I, or at least I think a lot of people would say that, that, you know, I, I'm, I'm a working mother or I'm a working father, whatever it is, that for new parents in particular, sleep is one of those things that you'd say, well, yeah, of course I'd <laughs> like to get more sleep. Thanks. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. There, there's, there's one. So how do you suggest that that happens? I'll tell you, one of the things I tell the dads in my expectant father classes is don't get up in the middle of the night to do feedings, that you're better off having your, your partner pump a couple of bottles of milk and do the feedings by yourself so that maybe you can get four or five hours at a stretch, and then you do the feedings while she gets a little bit of a longer sleep rather than everybody getting up at the same time. And that they, they, I know that that's been proven. I've, I've heard from a lot of people that that actually does help a little bit to get some sleep. Mm-hmm. But what do you suggest? So that, yes, going shift work, that's great. Um, I like that for a couple of reasons. One is because then dads can get some, some time bonding with the kid, and then mom knows, say, dads says, my time is from 10 p.m. till 2 in the morning, and then mom has from 2 in the morning till 6 in the morning, or whatever, whatever your shift work is. And you do truly hand out. There's no reason for both of you to be up at the same time. And if you know it's not your shift, I know a lot of new moms, we, we get what momsomnia. We can't sleep. We're kind of vigilant. If you know for four hours your partner has a kid, put in your earplugs, go out to the world. Totally fine. Um, number two, I mean, that's always really important. Um, number two, what I tell people is um, – one interesting thing you may not know, Armin, is that the milk women make at night is different from the milk they make in the morning. So if a woman is pumping her milk in the morning, it does not have melatonin in it. So you actually don't want to give that milk to your baby in the middle of the night because babies are not able to make melatonin. They rely on mommies to help them build that circadian rhythm because if you realize, you know when babies are first born, they're like little sleep terrorists, and they're awake at night and they're asleep during the day. They need mommy's melatonin for their circadian rhythm. So only take the milk she pumps at night, and that's what you need to give to baby. That's going to keep baby sleeping just a little bit longer, too. Hmm. Fascinating. Who knew, right? Who Exactly. Daria mm-hmm. Long Gillespie is the author of Mom Hacks, 100-plus science-based shortcuts to reclaim your body, raise awesome kids, and be unstoppable. And I think we probably talked about, I, I can't even tell you how many we talked about exactly, but there are many, many more in the book. Daria, thanks so much. Thank you so much, Armin. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.